Normally, hospital is supposed to be a place you go to get better, don't you? But who would think that hospital could be somewhere where you come out sicker than when you go in? That does more harm than good. Uh, you might remember last week John shared about how the local public hospital in Loha uh, had the nickname Death Hospital uh, because rather than healing people, it had this reputation for killing people instead. Uh, John's family were lucky or grateful. They were blessed to be able to have health insurance so they could attend the, uh, the much better private hospital. Uh, hospital's supposed to make you well, not sick up. Uh, does church ever seem like that to you, uh, doing more harm than good? Do you ever come, uh, you go expecting to feel better, to be encouraged or supported or challenged, but something happens and you end up leaving feeling worse. Maybe someone says something that upsets you, it was joking or thoughtless, but it hurts. Uh, or maybe it's something people don't say, they, they ignore you and you end up standing on your own. Or perhaps there's conflict or broken relationships over something that's happened. Or maybe there's bitterness or disagreement or coldness where there should be support and acceptance and warmth. And you, and you leave church with a heavy heart, discouraged rather than encouraged and disappointed and wondering why you bothered. Uh, I know someone who told me she used to dread coming to church because of unresolved tensions with another woman at church. And it went on for a year. It must have been horrible, dreading going to church. And church certainly seemed to be like that for some people at Corinth. And for Paul, that shouldn't happen. You see there in verse 17, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Your meetings do more harm than good. It's like death hospital back in, uh, in Loha doing more harm than good. So what was the problem? What made things so difficult for people? Well, there's a few things Paul's got in mind and he works through them over the next couple of chapters, but the issue he begins with is disunity. There in verse 18. In the first place, <laughs> now I love that, it's, uh, I've got a few things I've got a problem with about for you. Now, number one, and you think, oh great, how long is the list going to be? Uh, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. Uh, they're, they're not united. How does that show itself? Some people are being inconsiderate to others. They're thoughtless. Um, it hardly seems worth mentioning, but Paul makes a big deal about their table manners. Now, who would have thought? Verse 20. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. They come together for the Lord's Supper to remember what Jesus did when he died for them. Perhaps one night after work. Remember, there's no weekend in those days. People just work. There's no Sabbath. But some people were using it as an opportunity to get drunk. Quite possibly, it was the wealthy people in church that didn't have to turn up to work. They weren't responsible to anybody else. Uh, they didn't have to work as hard as some of the others, let's say the slaves. And so they got to church first and, and they came along complete with their David Jones picnic campers. Uh, they had their pate and their leg ham and their blue vein cheese and their crusty rolls and their, and their fine wine and it was just begging to be eaten and so they started early before everyone else arrived. And by the time the slaves and the other blue collar workers arrived, 
uh, after they'd finished serving dinner for their masters, the wealthy ones were already drunk. And so when it came time for the Lord's Supper, once everyone had arrived, uh, the Lord's Supper, the church family meal, remembering their salvation and their unity in Jesus, the rich were already full and the poor went hungry. What a contrast. And it wasn't even that some were full and others went hungry. Some were drunk while others went hungry. And Paul says, that's not the Lord's Supper. All they're doing is eating their own supper. You can feel Paul's righteous indignation as he fires off a series of questions in verse 22. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall, we, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. The irony is that the very meal that was supposed to show their unity, their oneness in what Jesus had done for them, was actually showing their disunity. That's how he describes the Lord's Supper back in chapter 10, chapter 10 verse 17. Uh, he says, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one loaf. Sharing that one loaf of bread is an expression of their unity. They were joined together as one body because each of them was joined to Jesus. That's what we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We remember that we're joined to Jesus. God joins each of us to Jesus when we trust him. And because Jesus is righteous, he makes us righteous. Because Jesus' body was broken and his blood spilled in our place. None of us deserves that. Each of us accepted only by grace. And so to eat the bread or pull off part of that one loaf is to humbly say, I need Jesus' death for my life, just like I need bread for my physical life. And so when we eat at the Lord's table, there's no room for pride or comparisons. There's no room for pushing somebody else off to the side. It's a meal for beggars. And so it's ridiculous that some behave as if they're better than others and treat them as if they don't matter. And so Paul reminds them what they should be doing when they come together. The real purpose for eating the Lord's Supper, it's not about them at all, it's about Jesus. It's his body, it's his blood. And so he says in verse 23 those uh, well-known words that we've heard lots of times if we've uh, celebrated the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper is all about the Lord. It's not about them. It's all about remembering. And the whole process helps us to remember Jesus. Because they're not just words that we hear. Uh, we see bread lifted up and broken. Uh, we hear and smell uh, the wine. We touch the bread. We taste it. Uh, our senses are used and they help us to remember. And as we eat and drink, we proclaim... If you like, we, we mime out the actions of Jesus dying and of us feeding on him, of us 
being nourished by Jesus' body and blood. And we declare that we're part of the people who need the work of Jesus, who need to feed on him to live, that we're sinful people who need forgiveness. Now that's what the Corinthians should have been doing. But some of them had forgotten. And it was more about them and less about Jesus. And Paul says there are consequences for that sort of attitude. Rather than eating the Lord's Supper, verse 27, he says they're eating judgment on themselves. They're eating judgment on themselves. You see, these people had an eating disorder. But it wasn't anything to do with the amount of food they ate. It was to do with their attitude as they ate. They were inconsiderate of others in the church. And then they'd eat the bread and the wine as if nothing was wrong. Verse 27, Paul calls it eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. And it was as good as throwing Jesus' gift back in his face. See there in verse 27? Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. It was saying to Jesus, yeah, I'll accept your gift, I'll value that, but I don't value my Christian brothers and sisters. And so instead of humility and gratitude, there was pride and selfishness. It literally says they're guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. In other words, they're same, saying, uh, showing the same attitudes of those who put Jesus to death. They're actually sharing in the guilt of those who killed Jesus when they show pride and selfishness. And, and Paul says it shouldn't be like that. And so people need to take a good hard look at themselves before they eat the Lord's Supper. Verse 28. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Now normally we hear those words and we think about just take a a general self-examination and look in your life for any particular sin. That's a good thing to do. And I'm not going to discourage you from doing that. But the context of what Paul's saying here is about examining how you treat other people in church. That's what he's talking about. Uh, Think about how you treat other Christians. Is there pride? Is there selfishness? Is there thoughtlessness? And repent of those things before you eat and drink. And then at that point we get to verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognising the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, the big question, as people think about this verse, is to answer, uh, who's the body? Or what what is the body? And there's two basic alternatives. Uh, It's the body of the church, or it's Jesus' physical body. It's a discussion that's been going on for centuries, and just to make things even more complicated, there's there's, uh, a some Greek manuscripts that that read recognise the body and then there's some other manuscripts that read recognise the body of the Lord. They've added an extra phrase almost certainly to try and clear things up or make things more confusing. So so the NIV, which many of you have got, and the King James have uh, recognised the body of the Lord. But if you've got an ESV or a New American Standard or a Holman, then they just have recognised the body. And that's almost certainly right. But, I mean, that doesn't, still really doesn't 
decide the question for us because the body could, could still mean the church or, or it could mean Jesus' physical body. Uh, if it's Jesus' physical body, then the phrase uh, uh, recognise the body of the Lord means something like uh, before you eat and drink the Lord's Supper, you have to correctly understand what Jesus has done for you, what his death and what his resurrection mean. But it doesn't say you have to recognise the body and the blood, like verse 27, it just says body. In my view, it's talking about the church body. That's the whole context for this whole chapter. The whole reason he brings up what the Lord's Supper is about in the first place is because they're not showing unity. The context of the discussion is about recognising the church family. Back in chapter 10, verse 17, the church is described as a body. We who are many are one body, he says. And a bit further on in chapter 12, there's a whole chapter about what it means to be part of the body. Each of us is like a different body part. Uh, the body is a unit. Uh, though it's made up of many parts, they form one body. So it is with Christ. We were all baptised by one spirit into one body, which is still sort of talking about Jesus. Somehow we were baptised into Jesus. But then down in verse 27 of chapter 12, it says it really clearly. Now, you all, plural, are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And so to recognise the body means to discern or to judge rightly or to take notice of the church, the group of people you're part of. To recognise the body means to work on unity, to appreciate the people who you meet with each week, to do it in humility and forgiveness and love and inclusiveness. Specifically for the Corinthians, it meant waiting until everyone arrived before you ate and being considerate. That's what it meant for them to recognise the body. That's the whole context of the verse. Down at the end of the chapter, uh, verse 33, look, look at how Paul concludes. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. That's what it means to recognise the body. Eat at home, if you're hungry, uh, so that when you meet together it may not result in judgement. And so when Paul talks about recognising the body, he's not talking, at least in the first instance, about some sort of understanding about Jesus' work on the cross. He's not saying you have to have studied a certain course before you can take the Lord's Supper. He's not saying you need to understand the difference between transubstantiation and consubstantiation. I can't even say it, let alone explain what it means. Or the difference between propitiation or expiation. Uh, which is probably just as well for most of us, isn't it? We, we don't need to have a, a super level of understanding before we can take the Lord's Supper. He's, he's not talking about that. He's talking about relationships and attitudes rather than knowledge. Jesus says a similar thing in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, when he says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Examine yourself, look at your relationships with other people before you come to your relationship with God. That's what it means to recognise the body. So here's the question you need to ask yourself before you take the Lord's Supper. Is there someone in this church family you've got unresolved issues with, uh, whom you haven't forgiven about something, 
Uh, well, do something about it. Confess, go to them, confess your part in the problem, offer to forgive them. Uh, or maybe it's not so drastic. Uh, perhaps it's just that there are people who you don't have time for. People you'll just sort of walk away from rather than get to know. Maybe they annoy you, maybe they've got nothing that in common with you. But that's not unity either, is it? Who do you choose to talk to after church? The people you get on well with, where conversation comes naturally and easily? Why not get out of your comfort zone, build some unity and stretch the boundaries? I think that's what Paul would want us to be doing. Well, here's another application. The Corinthians were inconsiderate because they arrived early and didn't wait for the others. Maybe for us, being inconsiderate looks like something different. Maybe it's arriving late or leaving early. How, what time do you arrive at church? Or maybe you leave quickly. If you arrive for church 15 minutes late or leave as soon as the last song's finished, what message does that send to your brothers and sisters about how you value them? Uh, well, start a new attitude today. Confess it. Let's begin fresh after church. Here's another application. If that is the right way of understanding what it means to recognise the body, to, to how you include other people and are not disunited from them, I think it says something about who gets to take the Lord's Supper. Uh, normally, traditionally in the church, we've said that uh, uh, baptised children need to reach a certain age before they can take the Lord's Supper. That they ne then need to become full members of the church, communicant members, uh, which involves having a certain understanding about what Jesus' death means and, and an ownership of that for themselves. But it's almost certainly based on only this verse and I think a wrong understanding of this verse where they understand it to mean recognising the physical body of Jesus. But my view is if we baptise our kids to show that they're part of God's covenant family and, and if they haven't walked away from those promises that their parents made for them, then why wouldn't we let them take part in the other sign of being part of God's covenant? of the Lord's Supper. It seems to me the Lord's Supper is perfect for kids because it puts things in pictures, uh, things that are easy to understand. And the reality is kids are probably uh, less likely to have issues with other people in church, issues that need forgiving and restoring, relationships that need restoring. So maybe kids are, are, are more fit to take the Lord's Supper than some adults. Maybe parents can explain the Lord's Supper to their kids in a way that they can understand, pray for them, help them to take the Lord's Supper with gratitude and repentance and humility. And if you think about what happened with the Passover meal for Jewish families, almost certainly kids as young as you could find would be included in that Passover meal and there'd be no requirement for them to reach a certain level of understanding before they could take it. Anyway, that's a little hobby horse of mine. Think about uh, that and we, you can chat with me more about that one. Let's get back to Corinth. Uh, Paul's heard that for the Corinthians there's been consequences for this wrong attitude. Eating and drinking without recognising the body results in judgement. Do you see it there in verse 30? That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. 
people are getting sick, in, in fact some have even died, and Paul says it's all because of their wrong attitude towards other Christians. And then in verse 31, Paul tells them how they could have avoided all this pain. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. Now that judged word, it's the same word as recognise. Back up in verse 29, where Paul says you need to recognise the body. And so I think that's parallel with recognise the body, judge yourself. So I think that's another argument for why recognising the body or the body is about um, the church rather than Jesus' physical body. So what Paul's saying is if, there's sort of playing on the word judgment. Paul's saying if people in the church had learned to judge or to recognise or discern and accept and include uh, the people in their church, then they wouldn't have had to come under God's judgment, under God's correction. He's thinking about correction. He's not thinking about a a final guilty verdict on Judgment Day like the one that non-Christians will face. He says that in verse 32. When we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we won't be condemned with the world. So he's talking about discipline. God wants his people to get it right, that they understand how special the church is, that they discern the church, that each member's valuable and not worth dismissing or writing off. And he's even prepared to correct and discipline us when we get it wrong. And so that's a good reason, isn't it, to examine yourself uh, rather than come under God's discipline? Who do you need to have a good attitude towards? Well, Paul's moving towards the end of his arguments, a final encouragement to eat well. Verse 33, so then, my brothers, when you come together, wait, wait for each other. If anyone's hungry, eat at home, so that when you meet together it may not result in judgement. Church isn't the time for satisfying your own desires. Church is not about you. Church is about others. Uh, Wait, recognise, value, uplift and serve. Uh, This is your family. You're part of the body. Build that unity. Call each other brother or sister. I love the way Stu does that. I don't know if he's, does he say sister? He certainly says brother. He says, he calls me brother. It's a good thing, isn't it? No, we're family. Uh, there should be an openness and a generosity. We could be building these things. We are the body of Christ. Let's make sure we recognise that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for your church. Uh, we pray that uh, we might build it and recognise it and be united. Uh, We pray that you'd protect us uh, from disagreements and disunity that would tear us apart. Uh, We pray that we might, by our love, show the world that we are your disciples. Amen.